Hey, Nico. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Just being the George and the rest, and I guess we should be starting shortly. Um, yeah. And yeah, sounds good. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we'll give a few more minutes here before we get started. Um, so thank you for joining us today. Um, we'll, we'll get a few minutes uh, before we get started. I see George just joined from the protocol team. Hi, George. I sent you an invite to speak. Awesome. Thank you, Nico. Oh, we lost him. <laughs> Wait for him. Great, I see George. Hey, George. Hey, Chetna. Hey, everyone. Can you all hear me okay? Yeah, we hear you perfect. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Um, yeah, we, we'll get started. Uh, I'm giving a couple more minutes before um, I start uh, and then introduce you and and you can take it over from there. So we'll we'll start about like four minutes or five minutes past the hour. Sure. Awesome. Okay, um, I think we can get started. Uh, welcome everyone again, uh, folks who are joining in. Uh, we are just getting started. Um, let me introduce George here. Um, he's one of the, the protocol team member from Pagoda. Um, and, and as you all know, the topic for today um, is the, the new role introduced uh, via phase one of sharding, which is chunk only producer and how that is different from block producers and any questions you may have around it. Um, so we want to keep the topic, uh, questions closer to the topic and relevant to the topic as well, um, which is helpful for the meaningful discussion here. Um, however, if you have any questions, please um, raise them, raise your hands, um, or ask to be brought up um, uh, as speaker. Um, we are happy to do that. With that, um, uh, George, uh, please go ahead and introduce yourself a little more, um, and then we can get started on the topic. And Please ask your question, folks, here. Thank you for the introduction, Chetna. So hello, everyone. I'm George. Um, I've joined Pagoda in June this year, so I'm uh, six months in. Super happy to, to be part of, of the blockchain uh, industry and to help the blockchain technology be easier to use, easier to adopt, which at the end of the day, that, that's uh, one of our main goals at Pagoda. Um, I'm part of the protocol organization. So what we do is we, we focus on improving the protocol, contributing to the open source implementation and um, making our very ambitious roadmap happen. One of the items there is Nightshade, which is the, uh, the incredible journey to implement sharding, full sharding on, on top of Nier. We've executed a part of it. The, uh, the recent release we had in September 
129 included um, the what we call sharding phase one, which was the second phase of sharding. Uh, we, we left to start counting from zero. We had sharding phase zero uh, at the end of 2021 and sharding phase one landed in September uh, a couple of months ago. And uh, this is a recurrent topic. We've touched about it. We, we've touched on it um, in, in a previous instance of the protocol office hours, given the impact uh, of the change uh, throughout, uh, throughout the whole spectrum from the economy of, uh, um, of, of, of mainnet, on, on, uh, if you look at the, the seed pricing, uh, up to the point the protocol works, introducing the chunk only producer and, and making progress through this, um, this sharding roadmap uh, is, is impactful and is significant. So we brought it up again today to see if uh, anyone has any other questions or would like to dive deep in any of the areas that are related to it. Awesome. Um, so with that, so if you can probably get started in terms of basic fundamentals um, about the role of Chunk Only Producer, and, and we also mentioned about how, how the seat, um, increase the number of seats that's available, um, that mm -hmm. is up for grabs, right? So we can talk about that also. Um, yeah, anything that you could think, because I don't see any hands up here, uh, at least for now. Um, how and when I see folks raising their hands, I can bring them up um, so that they can ask their question um, as well. So, yeah. Excellent. So let me then give you the, the short summary of what the, what's the context for the Chunkoni producer and what does it mean? Um, at the end of the day, one of the main goals that we have for, for near and for the near blockchain is to make the blockchain scalable. And uh, an important way in which we do that is through sharding, which is splitting the work um, among a, a larger number of participating nodes. Uh, introducing sharding means that the, the, the nodes at the end of, of this whole um, um, journey will focus only on a subset of the state, a subset of the transactions, those that are mapped on the shards that they belong to or the shard that they're associated with. And um, to, to be able to do that with introducing sharding phase one, the role of the chunk only producer. Um, I'm assuming all of you are pretty much familiar with, with uh, uh, the fundamentals of the blockchain technology. So uh, speeding up a bit, up in phase zero, every block was validated by a block producer who was following monitoring, being connected to all the state in the network. In phase one, that will keep happening. So the blocks will be validated by nodes who are uh, have full visibility over all the state. And this is for security reasons. What changed is the fact that when we are producing, we are differentiating the block production from chunk production. So now we have nodes which only produce um, chunks, let's call them fractions um, of a block that are um, that represent the the mapping of, of a block on 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 a certain uh, on a certain shard, and 
they produce that chunk. And then when, when we produce the block, we just take all the chunks, we put them together and we validate that the whole block makes sense and we apply it and we update the state of the network. Um, from a workload perspective, given that each chunkony producer focuses on a smaller size of a state and, and works with um, a smaller workload, we can put it like that, the, the resources used by that node are smaller uh, and will make the node cheaper to run. We will need um, if, if you want to go into the full gory details of, of uh, how all this thing works, uh, there is a very nice design document that's called Nightshade. Um, you can uh, find it on, on your.org. Just Googling it will take you, probably the first link will take you to, to the right page uh, on your.org. Um, so you can see there all, all the thinking and all, all, all the design details behind it. But if uh, coming back, uh, it, it makes sense to uh, distribute the load of the network over a larger number of nodes and have each of them handle a smaller amount of the state and a, a, a fraction of the, uh, the, the transactions that are included in a block. And then be very, very careful when we put it all together to make sense that, we, to, to make sense of all that information and to prevent um, rogue nodes from attacking the network. There are a number of mechanisms in place. Today, uh, as I said, when we do the validation, um, the, the nodes monitor the whole network, so for security purposes. But part of the next phase of sharding is, is a very nice set of mechanisms which allows us to actually uh, progress from that state to a point where um, we can have challenges and we can have slashing in case uh, a certain challenges uh, uh, fails. So we've uncovered a rogue node, a node that wants to attack the network. And that's a very important milestone per se to, to be able to scale the network further. Um, if, if we look at the number of seeds on mainnet up until September, again, with sharding phase, uh, when sharding phase zero was, was in place, we had 100 uh, seats, 100 validator seats, and those were nodes that were producing blocks. Um, we can call them block producers. Starting uh, we, uh, from September, we added an additional 200 seats, and those are for trunkly producers. So right now there are 300 available uh, seats. As we, as um, at, at the time of recording this, uh, we have almost 140 nodes validating, and the, the number of, of nodes that participate, number of validators has increased gradually since September. And we expect to see this, uh, this increase to, this increasing number of validators to, to continue over, over the next months, up until the point where we're gonna have um, all, all of the seats uh, full. The, um, uh, the people that participated in stake wars, uh, once we're gonna complete the delegations, will probably fill a good number of, of these seats. Now, with a larger number of nodes and a larger stake in the network, the seed price has gone down. So right now it's around 20, 20 k in year. Um, and this makes it more affordable for, for nodes to become a validator in terms of the stake needed. Um, what else? A very important distinction. How do we 
select which node is a block producer and which node is a chunk only producer. So what we're doing is we're sorting the, the list of validators in a decreasing uh, order based on the stake that they have. And we are selecting the, the top 100 to be block producers. And we are selecting the next up to 200 to be chunk only producers. And there is a, a, minimum, um, a minimum threshold that uh, the nodes need to, uh, a minimum threshold of stake that the nodes need to have in order to be eligible to be a, a validator, uh, a validator node. Chetna, am I missing something? Should I dive deep on uh, on any of these areas? So I think um, I see a, a requester uh, here, um, Matthias. He might have a question. Let me bring him up. Um, while you were thinking, so I was also thinking about, like you mentioned about the difference how we choose block producer versus chunk chunk only producers. Um, so if you can dig a little deeper in that topic would be helpful as well. But um, before you do that, Matthias, um, welcome and uh, welcome again. Thank you for being regular on the calls for us. Um, go ahead and ask your question. Yeah, hi, hi everyone. Thank you for, for these office hours. They're, they're really great to stay on top of things. Uh, I actually have two small questions. Uh, first of all, it will be interesting to actually know the trade-off between uh, having between the strategy of just using shards versus using chunk producers. When it does it make more sense to actually become a chunk producer instead of a complete shard and um, you know a complete validator? I, I, I get the the price it. Of course, that plays into it. But from a technical standpoint, I mean, wh what will be the technical trade-offs between between those and looking into the future, I'm wondering if there's any other smaller uh, type of processing unit from the chunk. I mean, we are, we are going down from shards to chunks and I wonder in the future if there's any smaller uh, type of unit that could come into play in the future for another type of validator, thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for your questions, Matthias. A uh, really interesting one. Uh, so at the moment, we don't have uh, a, a more finer granularity uh, below chunks. So we have the blocks, and we we look at the blocks as being composed of chunks. We don't have uh, a more fine-grained granularity than one than, than that at the moment, uh, and I don't expect us to have anything uh, smaller than that in in the at least near future. Um, we, we have to, to complete our nightshade journey first before planning the next stage. That will take us to, to 1 billion active accounts. We're still targeting that. And nightshade is, is contributing uh, significantly to us being able to scale. So that's, that's the answer to your second question. Um, as for the first one, there, there are two things. One, depending on the 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 harder resources that you have when you're running the node, you may wanna uh, focus on the chunk only producer if you want to um, to have a smaller amount of resources allocated, like smaller CPU um, counts or core counts, a smaller amount of memory or, or uh, a smaller storage size. That will definitely create a different um, 
cost versus rewards equation uh, in terms of what it means to be profitable as a validator. Uh, and regarding the rewards, the rewards are proportional to the stake that people have. So uh, the, the chunk only producers have a smaller amount of stakes. As I said, we're sorting the list of nodes in a decreasing order based on, on the state that they have, which means that the amount of rewards they will get by, by um, performing work will also be smaller. So this funnels back into that equation that I said, which, which says what are the rewards you're getting as a chunk only producer and what are the costs that you're paying to be able to, to run the node, the harder costs and, or, or, and the network traffic, or if you're going through a cloud provider, the, the monthly um, monthly bill that you have to pay for those services, and that's something that each uh, each person needs needs to balance to see how it works. Did I cover, Matthias, your your question? Uh, did I miss yeah, anything? Yeah, perfectly. Yeah, no, that that that's great. That's great. Uh, I just <laughs> I just kind of uh, wonder if that path doesn't take us to a future where people will actually build specialized hardware systems to build a chunk producer on and, you know, get back to the ASICs model of processing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, uh, that, 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 that would be a nice, a nice future. But uh, for now, the, um, at least in, in the way we look at the near client is designed to run on, on general purpose hardware x86. Uh, we, we have ARM support, and uh, in the last release, in the 130 release, we actually made a fix that, that allow, allows uh, the client to run better on, um, on M1 computers. So we, we, you can actually make your way with, with an ARM architecture, but it, it's still general purpose. So yeah, we, well, we don't have anything well, specific now. Yeah, exactly. But if you think about it, I mean, the whole infrastructure is built on Rust and there's like this whole movement to put Rust into embedded systems. And when you start combining those, then, I mean, I'm not talking like six months or even 12 months ahead, but I just see that that progressing into that, especially when they're, you know, when the Rust community is so uh, enthusiastic when it comes to these projects, right? And And honestly... That, that would be an awesome project if somebody just just went ahead and said like hey i'm going to i'm going to port near core or at least some of the features that actually made near core for that are worth for chunk producers and build a bare metal type of thing where i can just run that and it makes more sense you know with the with the price it going down and as you mentioned the actual rewards that you can get from running this to to build a specialized hardware type of system. But hey, I'm just digressing and sorry for the rambling. I just find it, uh, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Thank you, yeah, thank you for answering. Definitely worth exploring and, and seeing what it means to, to build hardware capabilities that are um, tailored for the amount of work and the type of work that Neocore is doing. That's definitely something to think about. Awesome. Thank you, Matthias. Uh, I think specialized hardware is an interesting point of view. I think we are early in the stage of even looking at that, but it's a great idea. I not um, we can see that in the 
but but the thing is we want to create less friction for the folks who wants to run their node and become a validator the minute you make a specialized hardware um until you reach the economies of scale the hardware will come at a higher cost for folks right so i think that's another thing to think about the idea why we increase seed is to make it more a uh, less uh, barrier to entry for people who wants to run their node and 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 be that validator on the mainnet right so um that's how i think um but we never know future most of us don't know what future holds but we should be open minded in terms of how we are driving um in that direction um awesome um george again going back to the previous question um seed brain price being lowered uh, because of increased number of seats that's available um would mm-hmm. that a, i think the question is like a little confusing is like if i want to be a block producer who's new who's new a uh, node runner um to in the mainnet um the seat price is low does that mean that i can be a block producer what are kind of criteria to become a block producer versus a chunk producer the main criteria is is the uh, the state that you have mm. that's that's a differentiator and uh, right now on mainnet for example the uh the last block producer has about 390,000 years that fluctuates um so this this number may be different by the time you're listening to um uh to this recording Uh, but as as of uh december 14th when we are now uh it's it's 390,000 year give or take so you either need to have that stake in order to be in the top 100 and be a block producer or if you don't have the stake then you're going to be a chunk on producer but at the end of the day as i said what what's important to keep in mind is that rewards are proportional to the stake that you have and they're not distinctly proportional to either of these two roles so it it doesn't matter if you're a block or a chunk only producer what matters more is the 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 percentage of state that you have um correlated to uh to the overall state on mainnet so that that's the main differentiator in terms of rewards got it cool um any other questions folks here Uh, in the listening mode then i don't want to call you out or single you out but if you have any questions um on behalf of uh, folks who reach out to you dennis here is our devrel um who kind of represent and face a lot of community and customer questions so if you have um let us know dennis we can bring you up as well awesome So ideally for developers all the things that we're talking here regarding the way we optimize a protocol the way we scale it should be fully transparent if we do a very good job and and for them the network should just be available and they should just be able to to, to build on top of it one thing that does influence the uh, them is the actual um the, the the transaction cost that they're paying and with more validating nodes uh in mainnet that uh, that's a pressure for for the uh, the price to go na- down since the network overall is going to have a higher capacity 
So this also this is actually the main um, uh, benefit that developers will have from all the effort that we're spending together as an ecosystem to make the protocol scale better. I love it. Dennis, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Gregor, um, uh, I, I saw in uh, our Slack that uh, um, you recently uh, did some performance improvements in the networking for the protocol. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe run us through uh, how you did that and how that worked. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to, to hear uh, all the Devi details behind this. Yeah, so I think that, that that's Gregor's. Uh, it's another engineer from the protocol team. It, it's not me. Oh, um, yeah, sorry. I read you. Uh, sorry, George. Yeah, I'm sorry. No worries. No worries. No worries. That, that's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm from around uh, around the protocol. So um, while I don't have all the details uh, around the changes that, that we did, um, definitely I invite anyone who's interested in, in the gory part to actually look on GitHub. The nice part of the open source development is that Everyone is encouraged to look at the code and to, to see how things are implemented. And uh, a lot of, of the insights around the approaches and optimizations and the things that we're doing are very, very visible in the code. So that's a very useful exercise if you want to do, if you want to have fun uh, in an, uh, a cold winter evening, you can actually browse our GitHub or, or the, the repository and have a look at uh, the code there. Now, coming a bit back to, to your question, uh, the changes that we're doing on the network are, are usually meant to improve the way nodes interact with each other, decrease the amount of traffic that's needed for a node to be able to produce a block and to have the, um, uh, to have the headers that it needs from, from the uh, different uh, chunks or to be able to get in sync faster with the latest state. Definitely we need network to be able to coordinate among nodes. And we are aware that network is expensive. It's not something that's infinitely available and cheap. So we're always focusing and making improvements to make it easier for people to, to run nodes, one. And two, to make it more efficient in the way the nodes interact with each other. So if, if nodes are able to keep in sync faster, that means they're able to produce blocks faster. Uh, and that increases the overall throughput of the network, which is a good thing, a good thing in, at, at the end of the day. Awesome, great. Um, so we have uh, Paul here. Um, um, hey, Paul, uh, go ahead and um, ask the question. Hey, thanks. Hey, George, how you doing? Hey, Paul. Uh, but I got a couple of questions. Uh, one is on um, uh, validator node counts and number of active trunk producers and block producers. And then another is on the APY uh, comment you made earlier, I just want to clarify. So at the moment we're at around 143, uh, I think, validators and trunk producers. What mm -hmm. is it at a high level that determines that number? Is there an algorithm between that and seat price and total amount staked or something like, what is it that's driving that number? Is that something you're setting at the moment or is that something that's being algorithmically determined? So um, it's a combination of a few things. On one side, there is a hard, hard limited configuration of 
how many seats we have. Right now, that's being configured at 300, <clears throat> with the first 100 being block producers and the following 200 being chunk only producers. So that, that's a hard definition of the number of seats. Now, mm -hmm. to, to look at how we fill those seats, um, there are two additional things. The first one is there is a minimum stake ratio required to be eligible to, to, to fill in one of those seats. And this is, um, if, if my memory serves me well, it's, it's a ratio, um, something along the lines of 160 divided by 1 million, and that's the ratio for black producers, and 40 divided by 1 million, and that's the ratio for the chunk only producers. Uh, if you have that, uh, then you are eligible to, to get a seat. And there's, but I think this is, um, I'm reasonably uh, confident in those numbers. Uh, we, we do need to check the code, but uh, I think those are the ratios. And the, the third thing and the last one that influences is, I can call it the street price of, of, um, of, uh, of the seat. So if we have more people wanting to, to join, if we have pressure, on those seats, then the seat price will go up. If we don't have pressure on those seats, then the seat price will be dictated by this ratio. So as long as you have um, uh, one token on top of that ratio, as I speak, then you would be eligible. And we control the first two things. We control the, the threshold, how many seats we have, and we control the ratios. What's the minimum amount of stake that, that um, you should have to be able to fill, uh, to fill those seats? But what we do not control, and it's controlled by the community, but I, not the community, but I can call it the market, is how many people want to be in those seats. So I, from my perspective, that's the largest, inf, uh, the largest factor that influences the seat price. If we have a lot of people that want to join, the seat price will go up. Yeah, so more, more people competing at that, whatever it is, 20K level at the moment, uh, yeah. and going to 23, 24, 25, uh there's going to be some pressure what trying to that will drive the c price up trying to bring these ratios back in line and then you can through uh updates then alter that min stake ratio to then start that being less aggressive and therefore allowing more and more chunk producer seats to become available um and then you can allow, and then you allow, you allow that to go to 300 no, we're, we're actually, we're not going to change anything uh, on our side. Uh, we're going to let the the, the the validator seats to fill up gradually. We have 159 so now. You're going to keep that stake ratio the same as the intention. Yeah, that, that stake ratio is going to stay the same. Yes, yes. And okay. uh, that that's a ratio which is an absolute number, not a relative one, so it doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's a ratio of what, what's your stake um, reported to the overall cumulative stake in the network. And the reason behind having that ratio is to, to make sure that you, as a node, do have a chance to actually produce something. Because what, what we're doing is the, the blocks or the chunks are assigned to these up to 300 nodes proportional to the stake ratio that they have. And okay. if you have a very small stake ratio, then the chance for you to be assigned to produce a block or a chunk decreases. So if you have 
a ratio that's very, very small, you're going to be there and you're not going to be asked to do anything. And that's going to make a, a very bad experience for the validators. They're going to run the node and they're not going to have work to do. Okay. Okay. So, so, so just, these, these so ratios, sorry, just, I can just you, double click on one thing. The, the thing that's going to drive sure. the number from 143 to 300 is nodes coming in with delegations above the seat price and, 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 but those coming in is going to drive the seat price higher, so they not for the moment. The, the seat price will not go will not go up for the moment. Um, uh, ish. I mean, it's still that that ratio. But uh, as long as we're we're gonna continue having seats that are not filled in, we're not gonna have a large pressure to to take the seat price up. Right, 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 right. Okay, because they're estimating yeah. like roughly how much is going to come in through delegations and unstakes and things. Okay. Yeah. If I yeah. can, I don't so that, that... time. This has been super helpful. If I can, unless there's anything else you want to clarify on that, I'll move to the APY question. If that's okay. No, no, no. Just, just to, to imagine, um, tell the same thing from a different angle. Um, that we're gonna have some pressure on the seat price as we get closer to that three hundred limit. Which is the, the natural economical, uh, the, the natural mechanism in the economy, where we have multiple people wanting. Oh, so to what's, get what's something. been causing what's been causing the recent volatility in seat price? The sort of moves between like sixty, twenty. No, it's it's exactly this this mechanism where we created uh, a large number of additional seats, and as people join with a smaller amount of stake than as long as they are eligible and they meet the criteria, they're going to become a validator and the, the, the lowest stake there will dictate the lowest C price. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, sure. Okay, so on the APY, originally in documentation online, at least splash pages, home pages, I see the original plan was that the APY would be, I think, a half or like a 5% was the touted figure for Chunk Producer. Now, we see as these have come online, that hasn't changed. Is that meaning that it's just not been done yet? Or is the intention now to just keep it as it is and keep it the same for a chunk producer and a block producer? Um, the, the thinking is not to make a difference between these two nodes, so to, to treat them as from this perspective um, as, as the same. So uh, I don't expect us to, to have different APIs on the block versus chunk. Okay. And any, and any things of that nature, I assume we see as a sort of governance issue uh, uh, and something so sort of like discussed in those forums, like more broadly in terms of ecosystems and such. Mm -hmm. cool. Can you please rephrase the question? I I don't think I. Um, so what was the comment like? What it was a comment saying that you know the APYs and everything is is more um, uh, along the lines of the governance uh, forums. Yeah, let me yeah, but let me let me be let, let me rephrase. So originally it was advertised at five. The in, so I assume that at some point that was an intention. It has now continued to as it's been rolled out. That mechanism for whatever reason was not in place, and so now it remains the same. And so that is a d decision taken somehow. So it's sort of interesting to know how that decision is made. And then is the intention moving forward, decisions like that are a 
pagoda-led decision or like how would we expect sort of inflation discussions to uh, take place? That is a very deep and complex conversation uh, and definitely not something that uh, touches on the technical side of what Pagoda is doing. So the developer governance is, is very important to, to be solid. The, the, uh, the validator governance is, is very important to uh, the community governance. I think that that's the right phrasing. It's, it's very mm. important to, to be solid, to be able to, to navigate through that conversation and to see what happens, to see what, what's the right approach. How do we have a healthy economy uh, on mainnet? It impacts a lot of things. So definitely something that, that uh, has to be treated really seriously. Uh, yet it's not uh, directly related to the technical um, details of how the protocol works or, or to, to any technical deliverable that we have uh, today on the plate. Yeah, clear. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Sure. Thank you, Paula, as well, for asking your questions. It's really helpful. Thank you. Um, um, uh, so we have about 20 more minutes. Um, any other subtopic, George, do you think about that is useful to share with the folks here? Um, or anybody in the audience as well, uh, please do ask questions pertaining to near protocol specifically. And if it is focused on the topic today would also be uh, beneficial to the rest of them who are listening here um, as well. Yeah. So with that, George, if you have any other subtopic that you think is useful to share in the meantime. Um, no, I think I, I kind of covered what, um, what they wanted to touch on, the, the fundamentals of the sharding and where the chunking producer fits into this whole story. Uh, awesome. you're, you, we're super excited about the whole yeah. nightshade architecture and all the stages of sharding that we are working on. So as an engineer, I think this is one of the coolest problems to, to solve. How do you implement sharding on a large scale decentralized system? And how do you do it live? without interrupting the system's uh, functionality. We've done that a number of times. We, we've made uh, updates so many times over the past years to, to mainnet that uh, we've kind of learned how, how to make live updates. And this gives us confidence that despite the, the complexity of what's ahead of us, we, we can actually deploy all that in mainnet um, live without, uh, without any downtime. Uh, but yeah, the, the technical challenges of, of the, um, the nightshade roadmap are really nice. So as an engineer, as I said, uh, I, I love working on this. Awesome. Glad now, to hear. Um, back to anyone, back, back to any of our listeners in case they have any other any questions. questions. Yeah. I don't see any hands up, um, hand raise or anything. We can also wrap up early uh, if you don't see uh, any other questions. Um, and since we don't have anything else to share further on this topic, uh, we can wrap up early and give time back to folks as well. Um, do you do you want to quickly um, wrap up saying what's in store for future, George? 
in terms of phase two uh, that we're looking forward. Um, sure, sure. Um, by the way, there there's a very nice uh, blog post that that we shared a couple of months ago. It's on pagoda.co on on Pagoda's website. Uh, it's written by Bowen and it goes a bit in depth, just a bit on what we have planned for 2023 and 2024 related to uh, the protocol changes that will happen, the protocol upgrades that will happen. Uh, it's an interesting read. Uh, I encourage all of you to, to have a look at it. It's, it's not very long, so it's gonna be pretty pretty quick to, to digest, uh, but it gives, it gives a solid set of insights around what we wanna do and, and what you should expect. So now uh, for, for sharding specifically to be more um, uh, more clear. What we want to do uh, roughly in 2023 is to, to be able to scale to even more shards. Today we have four shards and this is this is a hard-coded uh, number that was introduced with phase zero and that we still have today. Those four shards are, are meant as um, a, a playground to develop all the other mechanisms around. The intention is to increase the number of shards significantly so with the next phase, phase we want to go up to 100 shards. That's going to improve the parallelization of processing. Um, we're going to have challenges, as I said. Uh, doing a, a small recap, today when we're producing a block, the nodes that produce the block, the block producers, those first 100 validators, uh, they have full visibility over all the state. And they need to be in sync with all the states. So the work that they're doing is more significant. And that will change in phase two. So in phase two, uh, the, the nodes will kind of delegate trust to um, the chunk only producers and will trust the data that they have. That trust is based on a set of mechanisms, strong mechanisms, which make sure that the network is robust. And at the end of the day, the things that we're producing um, are true, are correct, and uh, we don't have nodes that attack the network and ingest uh, false state into it. Again, a reference to, to our Nightshade uh, design doc, if you're interested to go into the details, there, there's a very nice conversation, explanation, description there around um, how, uh, how these are, are happening. Uh, so with those, with challenges, so with, with this allegation, we're going to have challenges, definitely. That's a very important mechanism which gives confidence in the fact that if a, a node programmatically, automatically um, identifies a certain chunk as being suspicious, then it can challenge the chunk only producer node who created it. And the consequence of, of a challenge that proves to be true, which means that node was um, misbehaving, is, is uh, stake slashing. So that, that's, that's going to be a very important piece of all this story. Um, with, an, with, the, with scaling the number of shards up to 100, we're going to introduce a number of changes that allow the network to, to be more efficient in the way um, data is being transferred across nodes. So that work that I mentioned that Gregor was doing, uh, along those lines, we're going to make a number of additional improvements in scalability and in the way nodes interact with each other. At the end of the day, the goal being to reduce the pressure on, on network as a resource as much as we can. 
Um, so th these are very important uh, parts of, of the next um, uh, phase of sharding where, and we expect it, as I said, uh, we expect it to land in 2023 at the end of the year and to have um, a few stake wars iterations until then to support this journey. So you're gonna hear about stake wars again with, um, with different flavors of, of the program, definitely, depending on, um, on what we wanna test. We kind of know what you want to test, but we haven't released the, uh, the, the thing yet to the public, so stay tuned. That's awesome. That's a great wrap and summary, uh, George. Um, thank you again. Um, uh, any last questions, folks, who are on the speak? I, I see Paul unmuting. Do you have anything? Uh, yeah. Uh, just as you were talking, there's like all really interesting stuff, and I was just skimming through as you were talking. Um... Bones blog. It's really good. And there's a few things actually here that's interesting. I don't know the topics we have time to cover or you want to touch on. One was like the tier one, tier two networking. Um, uh, that'd be interesting to know a little bit more about. And then the other thing was as we think about introducing uh, slashing, it uh, sort of occurs to me that the validator key now and the security around the validator key becomes a lot more important because as it stands today, you, I think the worst that can happen is that you, if it's exfiltrated, someone can maliciously start pretending to be you, um, double signing blocks and then getting you kicked. Like that's the extent of the damage. Uh, mm -hmm. The of slashing, if the key gets exfiltrated, then uh, there can be, uh, you know, significant loss of funds depending on what, you know, what the rules are and what the percentages are. Um, how, how's, how's the thinking going along at the moment in terms of like what that looks like? Has there been much... Uh, discussion around that yet or is it early days and then around uh, things like remote signing capabilities or other options like that to try and support the key security um, yeah so um, regarding tier 1, tier 2, let's have that uh, as part of a future protocol office hours, it, it's worth going in depth on, on the roadmap and giving sufficient space to all those items so uh, we have a better chance of transmitting the enthusiasm that we have around them. Um, now for for keeping the key secure, uh, super important, definitely. Uh, as, as a service operator, uh, it's critical to have a strong operational posture, to have a strong security posture, to know how to handle and to, to be able to handle the sensitive material uh, that's part of the, of the service you're running. Um, most of that uh, is something that the validator community has to drive into to figure out what tools are needed. Uh, we'll be very happy to see if the near client should support something additional to what it does today to make an easier integration with tools that exist or to make it easier to build tools on top of it. So just give me a ping. I'll, I'll, I'll be super keen to chat about it and, and to hear uh, the thoughts that you have. At the end of the day, though, as I was saying, it's the validators, the response, the operator's responsibility, the, the, the node operator's responsibility to have a very good, um, a very strong security posture and to manage those, um, those sensitive materials carefully. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, happy to, yeah, happy to, 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 to follow all those things. And just on that final point around the actual mechanisms of slashing, so like 
particular rules, uh, percentages, things like that. Where are you in those uh, uh, plans? So we, we have an early thinking about it. Um, we are maturing it and probably by mid next year, we're going to have a, a better picture around how this is going to be implemented. Um, cool. I understand your question. If the slashing is going to be full or if, if it's going to be a partial slash or uh, how will this happen? And those are very important questions. Definitely as a validator, I see, I see their impact. Um, I, by mid next year, we're going to have a better picture and we're going to be able to, to share more insights around how that will happen. Great. Great. Awesome. Thanks, George. Sure. So I um, brought up one last listener, um, DK Lab, who is connecting uh, the audio, I guess. Um, hey there, um, go ahead and ask your question. Um, hello there, uh, is it my turn? Yep. Yeah, I think my, my, my network uh, got a hiccup for a while and I'm sorry. Um, so uh, just a two quick question. Um, um, I was uh, part of the uh, Shortnet um, event, and I'm aware that um, the one of the uh, ideas of uh, short uh, producer junk producers notes is so that we can lower the hardware requirement for the note. Uh, so I asked this question once in the uh, Discord channel. I was told that uh, yes, that's the plan, but uh, at the moment. Uh, we don't uh, lower. We 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 haven't lowered the uh, hardware requirement yet. So maybe it's uh, going to be in the future. So just uh, more question there. Uh, do we already have on our roadmap uh, when that is gonna happen? Um, and uh, yeah, and and maybe a for very small follow up question, uh, which is super simple. <laughs> so uh, uh, when we turn on our node and uh, we uh, look into the lock, we. We always see that um, there is a number one hundred, right? So it matches the one hundred uh, block producers uh, that we have uh, on an, um, in the network right now. Uh, I, I assume that's uh, expected, right? So uh, in, even in the future, if we have mm -hmm. two eight hundred, uh, that number would probably just stay there because that that is for the block producers. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um... Right now, the thresholds are, the limits are 100 block producers and 200 additional chunk only producers. Uh, these numbers, I expect these numbers to change, actually. Uh, as we move along with uh, with implementing sharding, uh, one of the goals that we have for this whole effort is to actually scale the network in better ways and be able to have more than 300 validators in the network. So those numbers will increase over time. <clears throat> Um, I don't have today a clear roadmap of, uh, I don't know, how many nodes, how many validating nodes you're going to have uh, in 2024, as that depends a lot on the data that we're going to get throughout 2023 on how the network scales to 100 shards, what does it mean for the nodes that participate, uh, how, is the, how is the load being distributed. All, all that will contribute to, to, to figuring out what's the, the right size of um, the number of validators that we have. So um, that's 
on your second question. And the first one, I think, was related to... Oh, can you please repeat it? Hardware. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Hardware requirements, got it. Hardware requirements, got it, sure. So the hardware requirements, are, um, you can look at it um, as an indicator. Uh, it, it's not something set in stone. If you don't meet those requirements, nothing is going to work. Or if you meet them, everything is going to be flower power, super nice and working like a charm. It's an indicator. It's, it's a reference you can use. Um, definitely, you can work with hardware that's below that with a certain risk. I've seen a lot of the, the uh, people in the validator community working with specs that are way on top of, of the, the recommended minimum requirements because they find that to be a better, um, a better operational fit for what they need. To, to add more hardware and to, 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 to get better performance out of better performance, meaning um, uh, a, a smaller chance to, to miss blocks or, or chunks that uh, they were supposed to produce. So this is, this is definitely a conversation to have. It's not something set in stone. Um, we will uh, definitely come with a guidance around the chunk only producer and the, the minimum requirements that we see for it. Um, in the upcoming months, probably, as, as we also get to, to have access to more data around how the nodes uh, perform. But at the end of the day, this is something that it's, it's a trial and error and experimentation on, uh, on the operator side as well to see what works. Um, yeah, that sounds reasonable. And um, we would really appreciate um, any um more information on this space in the future, of course. Uh, but uh, anyway, a, a little bit more elaboration. The reason I ask is because while running the Shardnet node, uh, I noticed that uh, to keep our threshold um, in, a, in a good um, space, right? About, about uh, for example, mm -hmm. about uh, 60 or 70% uptime, uh, then um, our a storage system has already had uh, have to be um, SSD in both maybe NVMe. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, by by hardware, of course, storage is still a very generic thing, right? It could be CPU, it could be storage, uh, but I was um, mainly meaning the uh, storage. So I I, I get a vibe mm -hmm. that when we go with chunk producing only, uh, our storage would still have to be at least SSD. Um, can you comment on that? Yeah, the um, uh, the storage needs to be SSD. It offers the, the right uh, I/O performance for being able to cache things and and to read things that are stored there. So uh, the difference between the chunk and the block producer are mostly in terms of the size of the resources. The type of the resources are basically the same. So you you need an SSD definitely for for the storage. Now um, the one comment they have regarding Shardnet, uh, there, there are two things to keep in mind. The first is with, with Shardnet, we stretched the code, we stretched the chunk only producer implementation, the sharding implementation of phase one. We stretched it in ways that uh, we could not have stretched it otherwise. And that gave us very good insights and we were able to provide fixes for the limitations that we saw there. And those fixes mean that the performance on mainnet will definitely be better than what we've seen on Shardnet. Shardnet was running uh, dev-ready, uh, internally tested code that was good, um, but 
that was not battle tested in significant ways. And the, the whole stake horse uh, program helped a lot in, in being able to, to mature that code and then to work with the community to, to, to learn how it scales to that side. So that's one thing. And two, uh, the workloads that we've seen on, on Shardnet varied throughout the, the stake horse program from very low limited workloads to workloads that stressed things, stressed the hell out of things. So we had moments when we wanted to, to get data around a certain uh, parts of the code and we added workloads that um, surfaced that. Uh, so the experience and the load that you've seen throughout the program varied significantly from one extreme to the other one. While on mainnet, the, the load is a bit more predictable, if I can call it, no, not predictable, uh, a, a bit more uniform, if I can call it like that. Uh, I don't think in mainnet we can expect to see incredible fluctuations um, like the ones we've seen in Shardnet. So that by itself is, uh, is something to keep in mind when you look at the experience there. Um, so overall, in, in, to be more specific on uh, on the hardware specs, uh, probably the uh, uh, the chunk producer will require a smaller CPU count, count uh, or and a smaller amount of, of memory. Uh, or in a smaller amount of storage. The type of memory, the type of storage, the CPU features are basically the same um, because there's uh, it is the same client that works just under a different uh, on different workload. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it does. I think we lost DK uh, Lab um, because of his network, but I think he gave a thumbs up when you were saying he reconnected back. He's in the list. So looks like he gave another okay. thumbs. So we okay. should be. Okay. I think there are time actually. Um, we got good questions at the, the the rear end of the conversation or the hour, uh, but regardless, it was really meaningful for me, and I'm hoping it's the same for you folks who are here. Um, yeah, thank you again uh, for coming back to these office hours uh, every week, and we want to continue hosting this for you folks and especially for the validators we have created a working group in telegram you should be able to search near working group uh, near validator working group i guess um, if you join there i would highly recommend to have async conversation because these are live conversations um, we are recording them however i think it's always good to have async kind of continue what we discussed here um, in telegram group well, um, with that, uh, let's close this session. Uh, thank you, George, and thank you, everyone, um, coming here. And thank you, Nico, for hosting us, um, as always. Have a great uh, rest of the day, wherever you are. And uh, bye, all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye, all.